Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for tuning in here with me today. It is Tuesday, April the 7th. Thanks so much for being here. Have a good show lined up today. In about 10 minutes, I'll be joined by the chair of the Kamloops-Thompson School Board to talk about how things are going now in week two of virtual learning, as well as take a little bit of a look back at last night's board meeting, where among the topics of discussion was the, the school board's uh, pandemic response plan. So I'll be getting into that with Kathleen Carplake here in just a little bit. In the back half of the show, I'll be joined by the city's building and engineering development manager to talk about permits issued in Kamloops throughout the month of March. Uh, in the, At the end of February, the city was already on pace to see a fourth straight year of record building activity but of course that was really before the novel coronavirus began hitting canada so how has that changed things over the past month well we'll get into that at around the 35 minute mark of the show and to end things off i will be continuing a conversation that i had yesterday when it comes to insurance John Schmuel is the Director of Content Strategy for LoisRates.ca, and he is back on the show today. Yesterday, we discussed home and life insurance and how COVID should be causing you to ask some questions there. But today, we're going to get into a little bit more of a discussion around auto insurance. With less and less people, of course, on the road, it might be a chance to save a few dollars based on that lower driving activity. So John will join me again at around the 15-minute mark uh, to talk a little bit more about all of that. But to begin today's show, last week... An area director in one of BC's more remote regions says people are retreating to their summer homes to try to avoid COVID-19. Uh, Daniel Bertrand in the, in the Central Coast Regional District, which includes Bella Bella and Bella Coola, told NL News that people were coming from all of Western Canada and even parts of the U.S. from before the borders were shut down. Some were looking to spend some time at their summer home. Well, obviously, this does cause some concern in a remote area where they may have not been able to, uh, or sorry, they may have been able to keep the coronavirus from spreading there in the first place. But, of course, with people coming from who knows where, that can change things pretty quick. So... Not long afterwards, um, when it comes to that call by uh, Daniel Bertrand, mayors of several other BC tourist destinations pleaded with vacationers to stay away to prevent spreading the virus and to avoid taxing limited rural medical resources. And at the end of last week, Provincial Health Officer Bonnie Henry was echoing those statements, saying, quote, I'm asking people now to forego those kinds of travel, particularly to smaller communities where we might not have the resources to support. You should you should become ill or should you become, uh, you know, be transmitting the disease in those communities, they may not be able to deal with those repercussions. Now, the mayor of Sun Peaks, Al Rain, has added to the list of communities asking people not to visit, and I caught up with Mayor Rain here earlier today. All right, I am joined on the phone now by the mayor of Sun Peaks, Al Rain. Al, thank you so much for taking the time here. I really appreciate it. Good morning. So I just wanted to start by kind of getting you to, to reiterate the message that you've been delivering. You know, a number of, of mayors of some of those small, more tourist communities have been basically putting out the call for people to, to stay away, right? If you, if you were thinking about coming up somewhere for a trip or you have a summer home somewhere, now is not really the time to be visiting. And you kind of wanted to reiterate that message when it comes to people visiting Sun Peaks. So let's just start with that. Why is it so important for, for you there at Sun Peaks to be able to, uh, you know, make sure uh, people aren't visiting the community if they don't have to? Well, first of all, I should say this goes completely against our DNA. You know, we, we're welcoming people. Uh, we're trying to get visitors to come to Sun Peaks under normal circumstances. But at the present time, you know, with the COVID-19 situation, uh, we've got to make sure that uh, the community stays isolated and that there's no further spread of the virus 
from the Sun Peaks uh, side. And secondly, people are coming up to snowmobile, uh, ski, snowboard, cross-country ski, and we do not have the availability of uh, safety people or ski patrol. There are no ski patrol people there. At this time, we have volunteer first responders who would have to go out and uh, look after an accident if one were to happen. And you know they're, they're putting their situation in jeopardy because certainly they're not fully trained to be dealing with uh, COVID-19 and, and, and the consequences of a, a bad accident on the slopes. And I should add that certainly the chief medical officer for the province has over the last 10 days, uh, almost every day, said, please don't go to the smaller recreation community because uh, you're going to overload their medical uh, system. And, you know, I should also say that there are people coming on the weekends and, and our health center is not open uh, at this point on the weekend. So it's just going to put a strain on us. And it's certainly not helping to contain this virus. Yeah, you make a lot of interesting points there. I mean, you know, when I was thinking of Sun Peaks in general, I was thinking, you know, this the, the, the resort is closed down. Uh, you know, it's been closed down for, what, three weeks now, I believe it is, maybe even longer than that. Um, and, you know, when I think of, of Sun Peaks, once the resort closes down, I, I almost don't think of those other winter activities as still going on. But yet, you know, you, you're mentioning, I mean, you don't need, um, you know, a, a ski lift to go cross-country skiing or to go snowmobiling. So you're clearly still seeing quite a bit of people who, who really aren't taking the, uh, the measures necessary when say, being told to or being asked to stay at home, people are, are still continuing to venture out and, and you're seeing that there in Sun Peaks. Eh? You're still getting quite a bit of people coming through thinking that uh, you know doing some of these winter activities is a good idea. Yeah, and I think there is a false perception. You know, you're going to Sun Peaks, you're, you're out in the natural environment, uh, you know, pure air, uh, there's, there's no coronavirus in Sun Peaks. Uh, unfortunately, we had to say in our release that uh, our, the medical team here in Sun Peaks believes that there are about 20, a few more than 20 people, actually, who are showing signs of presumptive cases. And as you know, we did have uh, reported in the media two cases of positive tests here. And I certainly believe our doctor, Dr. Barkley, is on top of his game. And he said about 20 people that are showing signs of uh, the coronavirus. So it, it, this isn't just pure air and there's no virus in Sun Peaks. And, you know, we hate to, we don't alarm people, but on the other side, we have to say, hey, folks, get a grip here. Uh, the coronavirus is circulating in Sun Peaks. We think it's under control. Uh, we think the situation uh, is, is well managed, but we don't need a whole bunch of people coming from the outside to add problems to the existing situation. Yeah, that's uh, definitely something I think all of all of these communities that are making this similar call are really concerned about, right? Is if it's either it's not there and so they want to keep it out, or if it is there, hopefully they have some control of the situation as it stands now. And and bringing more people into those communities uh, just brings the possibility of it spreading even further. Um, how how is things in Sun Peaks? Just in terms of I know like when you guys have put out your release there, um, not last weekend but the weekend prior, that uh, you know there was some concern about a number of people still having fairly large gatherings and there was some concern around senior seniors in the community who were continuing to to uh, you know get together in larger groups um, you know has that seemed to, to calm down a little bit are we seeing more and more people kind of take these physical distancing measures a little bit more seriously now in Sun Peaks 
Oh, absolutely. And I must say, the seniors crowd, they were a little bit slow in the beginning, but they were very quick in the end to figure it out. Uh, we've had a, a situation where some of the younger people haven't quite figured it out. And I think they don't, you know, they're hearing the reports that it's not affecting young people as much uh, and feeling that uh, they're safe. But that's not the case. And, you know, and, and as we know, more and more we're talking about people who are, are asymptomatic uh, passing this on. So we have to be careful here. And, and certainly we think we're, we're headed in the right direction. The 95% of people have got the message, and uh, hopefully in another couple of weeks we're going to come out of this. Yeah, I hope so. I know, um, I think a lot of, uh, you know, young people are feeling like they're a little bit invincible, right? But uh, we actually had reports on the weekend, I believe it was out of Alberta, where a person in their in their 20s died. So, I mean, this is clearly having uh, a bigger impact on people younger, the, the longer this thing goes on. We're seeing how it is impacting those in those younger age brackets. So it's important we all take this seriously, because we just don't know who is going to be impacted. Um, Al, uh, just while I have you too, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, the concerns about people coming up to the community to partake in some of these tourism attractions, whether it be that snowmobiling or the cross-country skiing or things along those lines that are still happening, um, even though people are being asked not to do those things, there are some people who are still coming up and partaking. I guess one of the bigger concerns, too, is maybe not necessarily catching COVID-19 as a result of doing these activities, but if anything were to happen and you were to get stuck, there's probably not as much capacity as there normally would be to go out and find people and help people if something were to happen while they're out on the trails or participating in these activities where they're in, uh, you know, more remote sections of the terrain. Absolutely, and, and there is no stupid call on the mountain. Uh, at this point, if we had to do a rescue somewhere, that would fall on our volunteer fire and rescue group. And you know, they're, they're reasonably well trained, but uh, certainly I don't think any of them were trained uh, dealing with coronavirus, and, and it's putting them at jeopardy. I mean, it's a bit of a selfish kind of action. You're saying, hey, yeah, nothing can happen to me. But accidents do happen, and, and people have to be aware that, you know, if they are hurt, uh, this is going to be very, very difficult to rescue them safely. Awesome stuff, Al. Well, really appreciate you taking the time to come on and speak to me. And I, I know there are a lot of uh, area mayors and, and district directors who are concerned about, uh, you know, people coming into their communities and just what the, you know, you, who knows where anyone has been, right? So it's it's uh, just easier for everyone just to stay home and, and stay distant as much as possible and um, avoid going to different communities. And, and I think it's an important call to be making. We've heard Dr. Bonnie Henry as well put up the call. Any unnecessary travel, uh, don't do it because you don't have to. Um, just while I have you here, Al, I will ask as well because I know when the, the release did come out about a positive COVID case uh, you know it was impacting um, some in the medical field there in Sun Peaks one of the doctors there I believe was to positive with COVID-19 just you know how is the healthcare system holding up in Sun Peaks at this point in time you kind of touched on it a little bit but just for uh, you know to get you out of here on a hopefully a positive note is, is everything kind of going um, well when it comes to dealing with with patients in Sun Peaks has there been a lot of concern? Yeah, well, I can I can confirm that Dr. Bantock is back healthy again, and he's certainly uh, helping and assisting uh, Dr. Barkley. Uh, they are doing most of their appointments by telephone, mm -hmm. and I think they're getting ready now to see some patients who they have to physically see. But um, the system's working very well here. Awesome. Well, that's great news. Really glad to hear that. And uh, thank you so much for doing this, Al. I really do appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, hopefully people will get the message here. Yeah, thank you for helping us.
That was Sun Peaks Mayor Al Rain. All right, well, let's take a quick break. And coming up, it's time to talk school board. I'll be joined by the chair of SD73 after this. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being with me here on April the 7th. Last night, the Kamloops Thompson School Board met for its first meeting in a few weeks. And joining me now to go over what took place is SD73 Board Chair Kathleen Carpa. Kathleen, how are you doing? I'm doing okay these days. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit weird, I think, for everybody. And the school system is really, uh, you know, kind of, kind of flipped upside down right now. So uh, I just wanted to start by kind of getting a lay of the land in terms of how you guys actually met last night. Because obviously we're trying to keep people home and avoid having any sorts of gatherings. So how did you guys uh, with the school board go about actually having your meeting yesterday? Uh, so we had our meeting via Zoom last night. So all of the trustees were um, at home and uh, keeping our distance from the board office and our staff uh, were uh, zooming in from either their offices or from their homes as well so we were um, we only had uh, two people actually in the boardroom and they were uh, just making sure that the video conference equipment was working properly. Yeah, it sounds like a, a bit of an odd meeting for you guys. I mean, just in terms of generally, I'm sure you're very used to sitting around one, one table together and, and having to do that electronically would definitely be a, a little bit different. Um, one of the things, of course, that was on uh, the agenda last night and is probably going to be on the agenda for quite some time was the pandemic uh, response uh, report. There was uh, Alison Cito put out the uh, pandemic response requirements memo here. Uh, so maybe just to, to start, if I could kind of get a little bit of a summary from you about sort of how things are going when it comes to this pandemic response plan that has been put in place. I know the pandemic response team has been meeting very, very frequently. So just, uh, you know, just from a general standpoint, I mean, have you been happy with the response uh, so far and and sort of what was discussed uh, during this presentation last night? So we have a pandemic response team who's been meeting daily for several weeks now. Uh, In fact, uh, ever since, the well probably even prior to um when schools were closed down for students um when we had the announcement that uh, in-class sessions were going to be suspended we've had our pandemic response team um meeting daily uh since beginning of march and they've been working on this tirelessly and this is um, probably one of the more complicated issues we've ever had to deal with in that things shift daily. So they are constantly getting new information and adjusting our response to that and um, trying to do our best to make sure that our students and our staff are fully supported through this as best as we can that we're keeping people's safety as one of our higher priorities and also making sure that we're keeping those connections between teachers and students because that is one of the more important things when it comes to school and to uh, student well-being. 
Yeah, and, and you know, we're, we're seeing this this plan sort of develop, right? First it was sending kids home and, and then sending teachers home and trying to facilitate that online virtual learning that is taking place. And, you know, we're in week two. I assume things are, are slowly getting a little bit smoother. I don't think they'll ever be fully smooth right out, but, you know, that'll come over time. But I did want to ask about a couple of specific things in regards to the pandemic response plan. And one of them was around uh, food programs because things are being run a little bit differently. And, of course, there are a number of, of kids out there who are still in need of those food programs in order to be able to to have their proper nutrition and eat so uh, can you just tell me a little bit about how those are changing right now i understand there's some delivery that's taking place instead of people actually congregating at schools to collect food now yes so we're again um, cognizant of the need for distancing uh, physical distancing when it comes to delivery of services so the some of the meals are being delivered and some are being picked up at schools and again it depends on individual circumstances we're trying to meet people where they're at as well as meet those safety requirements and uh, one of the things, too, that sort of popped up here later last week and, um, you know, just sort of opened up here recently was uh, daycare services or, or child care services for essential service workers. Uh, the first couple of sites opened at Pacific Way and Lloyd, Lloyd George Elementary Schools. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about how that process worked? Because clearly there was a call that was put out to find out just how much of a need there was in the community for, um, you know, for, for those child care services for essential service workers. And there was a bit of a process to figure out how to go about uh, facilitating this. So can you just, uh, you know, talk about how important it is to provide these services and how the school board's going about doing that? So providing these services, especially for our health care workers, is uh, a very high priority for us. We realize that um, it's very difficult to concentrate on the well-being of yourself and your patients when you're worried about your kids. And um, not everyone has access to child care. It's a very scarce resource in Kamloops. There are a number of groups that are working on that. It's a provincial issue. And um, normally people can depend to know that you know, their kids are going to be in school Monday through Friday uh, from 8 to 2.30. And that hasn't obviously been available. So that puts people in a crunch. And when we are trying to practice uh, physical distancing, you don't want children in large groups and small spaces. So again, that adds that level of stress to people. So concentrating on making sure that uh, we're, we sent out a uh, survey to parents to find out who we're going to be uh, most affected amongst our um, emergency response people. So um, looking at healthcare workers and putting them at the highest priority so that we could get their needs met so that they can go to work and look after the rest of us. Perfect. And um, pretty much out of time here, Kathleen, but we haven't talked about anything else outside of COVID. So I just wanted to give you a chance here to talk about anything else that really took place at last night's meeting. Was there anything else on the agenda that you felt that uh, people should should know about? What Anything else that you want to highlight while I have you on the line here? Um, we did have the uh, results from our special education audit that we went through. And I'm very pleased to say that we passed with flying colors. Um, we were told that our record creep keeping is amazing. And um, a real shout out to our staff because with the fire that happened this fall at Parkcrest, we did lose some files 
uh, for some of our students there. We were able to recreate those files, and uh, that was part of our success in uh, passing our audit so well. And so just, again, um, kudos to our staff. They've been amazing in all of the different events that have happened this year. I have to say that uh, this has not been a typical year for our district, and um, our staff have um, just shown what outstanding individuals they all are from our administrators, our support workers, our teachers. They have pulled together so many times to make sure that our students and their fellow staff members are well looked after, and they're just amazing people. Great stuff, Kathleen. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me. Always appreciate you joining me on the program, and uh, we'll definitely do it again uh, the next time the school board gets together for a meeting. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Awesome. That was the chair of SD73, Kathleen Carpa. Coming up after the break, the world may have really slowed down, but it hasn't come to a complete standstill yet, and the city of Kamloops is continuing to issue building permits, so we'll discuss what's going on when it comes to building activity here in the city after this. So please stick around. Listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the show here on Tuesday. At the end of February, the city of Kamloops was already on pace to see a fourth straight year of record building activity. Well, of course, a lot can change here in a month, and we'll see if that's the case here in Kamloops. I'm joined on the phone now by the city's building and engineering development manager, Jason Dixon. Jason, thanks so much for coming back on the show here. No problem, Jeff. Good morning. Yeah, good morning to you. So, uh, you know, I had you on with me, like I said, about a month ago. And, and, you know, just from a general standpoint, things were looking pretty good. But, you know, how has things changed here over the course of March? Obviously, it started off looking like it was going to be a, a normal month. And then a couple weeks in, things changed pretty quickly. So uh, just from a general standpoint, I mean, what, what has things looked like around your office over the course of March? Did you see a bit of a slowdown, as I'm sure most people might expect would be the case? Um, today we haven't actually seen a slowdown, um, you know, just sort of reviewing applications that we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Uh, yesterday alone we had five applications on the residential side. Um, seeing a bit of a shift, yeah, there's probably a slowdown. We only had one new house in that and four of the applications were for renovations, improvements, additions, that kind of stuff. We're definitely seeing an uptick in the home improvement side of applications um, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and it looks like, you know, residential activity, when I'm just looking at the, the month uh, monthly reports here and just kind of looking at uh, at the month of March specifically, I mean, there were 10 permits issued for single-family dwellings, 40 total in the residential sector uh, to date, already 135 compared to just 79 in the first three months of 2019. So, I mean, from a home-building standpoint, it looks like things are going pretty strong here in Kamloops. Yeah, we've been off to a, a really good start. Um, we've had a couple of big projects go out the, the door this spring already, a, a few apartments. Um, that really helps the construction value on that side. But you're right, that, that uptick in just permit numbers is, has been a big jump um, between 2020 and 2019. Yeah, and then, and then kind of on the flip side, when looking at commercial activity, I mean, things are down 
uh, quite a bit. I mean, uh, 11 total commercial permits issued. They were all in the uh, commercial sector here in the month of March, a total of 657,000. I mean, that's pretty low number, especially when you compare it to 2019 in the month of March when there was a, a dozen permits and totaling close to $9 million. So, I mean, is that what, what can you attribute the, the kind of shift in commercial here that we're seeing in the commercial industrial kind of uh, building permits? I mean, is there a particular reason why that seems to be slower than it was last year at this time? Um, no, I think it's just uh, they, these things sort of ebb and flow almost uh, feels like on a monthly basis. I know we've spent a, a lot of time. We've been working through some really big projects um, on the commercial, institutional, and industrial side over the last few months. Um, things like hospital permits, we've, we're just in the process of issuing uh, a permit for the hospital. We have another one we're going to be working on for the hospital. Uh, we're working on an application for... Um, Oh, Valley View, sorry, Valley View Secondary School. Um, so that's going to be a big institutional type project. So it really is an ebb and a flow, and it is early in the year. I know we have uh, 60 to 70 permits in the, the commercial, industrial, institutional queue. Um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of projects there that we still need to get to. And uh, I, I expect those numbers will definitely come around as the year goes on. Okay, so it's just sort of a, a result of kind of being early in the year here and, and things will change as, as more time progresses. Uh, when it comes to Valley View, I mean, can you give me an update on that specific project at all? I don't, if you can't, that's fine. But uh, it's one that I've been kind of curious about when things really might uh, kind of get into full swing there. Yeah, um, Valley View Secondary, we've obviously, if, if anybody's been down Valley View Drive or Oriole, has seen the work going on. They've got a earthworks and a site servicing permit, so they're out doing that work right now. We're very close to having sort of the permit finalized for that. We're just waiting for some revised information to come back from architects and engineers, and then I, I would expect to see that permit out the door. Um, I'm hoping sometime during April it will be out the door. Um, yeah. It's uh, that's a big project. That's a great community project, and I, I think it's one that everybody will be excited to see, especially the people that use Valley View Secondary School. Yeah, and and you know, with this whole COVID nineteen situation kind of ongoing, I mean, do you expect things to sort of change at all over the month of April? I mean, you've kind of painted a picture where it sounds like there's a lot of stuff that's in the queue that's ready to sort of be processed and going to and start moving from that you know application process into the actual building stage soon. Um, you know, it, are things really going to pick? Up? Is there a possible slowdown that might result as, uh, from COVID-19? I mean, everything else seems to be slowing down, but from, from what you're saying, it sounds like the construction industry here in Kamloops is, is going to continue to, uh, to work pretty hard here. Yeah, I think, you know, what we see in the, the stats for March is largely projects that were already kind of in the queue and, and in process when when really the, the COVID-19 situation reared its head, you know, significantly in the last three weeks. Um, I would expect that we're going to see an effect of, of some kind going forward. I can't imagine that we, we wouldn't see an effect, but at this point, it, depending on how long this lasts, the effect it has, it's just too hard to crystal ball what the effect might be. I know uh, as an organization, um, it's important to us. As long as the province allows construction to continue, we're obviously going to be here. Um, we think it's vitally important that that we do what we do because we recognize just how many people in the community are employed in the construction industry or in support of or, or supported by the construction industry. And, you know, if we keep working and that can keep, you know, people work, people in that industry working, keep some level of normalcy, 
It allows people to pay their bills and buy groceries. Um, that's all vitally important for the community. And as long as it's safe to do so, then we're going to continue to try and offer that support. For sure. Um, I'll, I'll get you out of here on this, Jason. So a month ago when we, we had you here in studio, I mean, you were a little bit hesitant to say anything in terms of what might happen for a full year. I mean, trying to project all of a year or two months in is probably not very um, easy or maybe even very sensible to do. Uh, but you had said at the time, you know, you know, not really comfortable saying how much we're going to see throughout all of 2020, but you were still saying, Look, it looks like we are on pace for a record year here in Kamloops. And, um, you know, here a month later, I mean, are you still confident in saying anything along those lines? Or is it just so up in the air right now that who knows what things might look like come the end of 2020? I think things are pretty up in the air right now. It's been a, a massive shift since a month ago when I was in in visiting you. I do have some confidence in that we have some really, really big projects in town here that I'm, I'm confident will continue to go ahead. Things like the patient care tower at Royal Inland Hospital, Valley View Secondary School. Uh, we're hoping um, to see an application likely later in the year, but for the replacement of Parkrest Elementary School. So projects like that are really going to help uh, construction value. And on the residential side, you know, we continue to get applications for big projects. We, we continue to work through applications on, on those projects. So assuming those continue to go ahead, I'm confident that, that it will be a good year. But exactly what it, it will look like at the end is, is impossible to say under the current circumstances. Yeah, fair enough. That's what I anticipated you would say, but thought I would throw it at you <laughs> anyway. Awesome stuff, Jason. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. And uh, it looks like things are still kind of looking pretty positive when it comes to construction here in Canada. So hopefully that continues. But uh, like you just said, who, who knows how things will look really day to day at this point. So it's hard to, to look too far ahead. But thank you so much for taking the time here today. Really do appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. You as well. That was the city's building and engineering development manager, Jason Dixon. Yeah, so uh, things looking pretty good here when it comes to construction in Kamloops so far. So a quick summary here to report. Uh, you know, when it comes to the month of March here in 2020, 103 total permits issued, totaling almost $17 million. Um, and then the year to date, sorry, or the year to date in 2020. So for the first three months of the year, 318 total permits issued, totaling over 46 and a half million dollars, which is up quite a bit over the 2019 uh, first quarter. So looks like we're still on track. But of course, as Jason said, as we deal with COVID-19, who the heck knows where things could go? Uh, as each day progresses, it's it's all just a mystery at this point in time. Coming up next, well, let's talk a little bit about insurance. How should people be handling their insurance policies when it comes to their vehicles? We talked a little bit uh, yesterday when it comes to home and life insurance. And, uh, well, John Schmuel is going to join me again here today. He was on yesterday, bringing him back because we didn't get a chance to finish our chat. So I'll be talking a little bit about car insurance after this. So please stick around. <laughs> Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Tuesday the 7th. Thanks so much for tuning in here with me. Uh, COVID-19, of course, is having an impact on everything in life and the insurance industry is no different. Uh, I talked a little bit about insurance yesterday when it comes to uh, the, the home insurance as well as when it comes to life insurance. So if you want to hear more on that conversation, you can tune in to uh, radionl.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear that. Uh, but I'm bringing back now uh, John Schmuel here from LoisRates.ca to talk a little bit about what's going on now in the auto industry. John, thanks so much for uh, taking the time here again. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, so like I said, yesterday we went over the home insurance policies and how it's being impacted as well as with life insurance. But uh, like we had kind of uh, hinted on here yesterday a little bit, the auto industry is is one of the ones that is really the more interesting of the insurances that we're, we're talking about here. So uh, just from a, a general standpoint, maybe just a quick overview of how auto insurance is sort of one of the more interesting uh, sectors here when talking about insurance in general. Why is, why is auto insurance sort of one of the ones that is uh, a little bit more... Uh, you know, in depth, why is it worth discussing a little bit more uh, in detail than those other ones right now? Yeah, so auto insurance, there's a lot going on. So number one, anyone who was driving a car before, uh, there's a high likelihood that you're driving it a lot less. Whether you're not commuting to work anymore or you're just taking fewer trips to see people, um, you're driving your car less. And that is a big implication for auto insurance pricing. Now, number one, we actually just saw Allstate come out uh, this week and say that they're going to be extending a 15% discount to their customers just because no one's on the roads. Claims have gone way down, you know, because there's fewer accidents. Um, and, and, and so that's, so we've just seen the first company start passing on the savings to their consumers as a blanket discount. And we expect, um, talking to brokers, that a lot of other auto insurance companies are going to follow suit. The other reason it's interesting is that you can actually take immediate steps to lower your insurance rates. You don't have to wait for the auto insurers to come out and say that we're offering these discounts. So part, let me take a step back and explain how auto insurance pricing works, right? They price you based on how much you drive your car, what kind of car you drive, your demographics, where you live, how old you are, um, you know, whether you identify as male or female, all of these things are taken into account in your pricing. Um, so, you know, going back to how much you drive, if you're driving less, when you sign up for auto insurance, your auto insurance company is going to ask you, how much do you drive to work every day? How much do you drive every year? You should call them and tell them, hey, you know, when I told you I drive, you know, 30 kilometers to work every day, it's now zero. Tell them that. And that could lead to an immediate reduction in your auto insurance price. Yeah, and of course, uh, you know, things are a little bit unique in the auto insurance sector here in BC with ICBC kind of being the, the key stakeholder. But yeah, anyone who does have additional insurance on top of those basic um, b- basic coverage that you're getting, uh, you know, this this does apply, especially for, like you had mentioned, Allstate being one. Some of those major players are still, of course, heavily involved here in BC as well. Um, one of the things, too, and you mentioned, you know, just you're, you're driving less. If people are working from home, they might not be driving at all. I mean, is this, uh, if someone out there is, you know, really concerned about the dollars and cents that they are they are putting out right now you know they're not making a significant income or maybe they're laid off or something along those lines should they just maybe even consider canceling their auto insurance policy or, or pressing pause on it for now is that something that might be recommended so i don't recommend canceling um because that goes on your record as a gap in your insurance coverage and that can lead to higher pricing when you sign up again and that's because um you're basically viewed as someone that um, you, you don't know why someone cancels their insurance, but the assumption could be, well, they couldn't afford it anymore, or, um, you know, there, there's something else going on um, that led to, to lack of coverage. So I would not advise canceling it, but there's a lot of stuff you can do, as mentioned, where you can get a lower insurance pricing for yourself. So immediately driving less, um, call up ICBC, let them know. You can also start taking down your coverages. So if you're not driving your car at all, there's no sense in maybe having a more comprehensive or a collision coverage on your car. So talk that one out um, and, and, and figure out what coverages you can remove 
that lower your prices. And the logon can lower your price quite substantially. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about hundreds of dollars a year being saved. So I think it's really important to sit down and say, okay, what's my driving going to look like over the next few months? Um, maybe your workplace has said, you know, for the next month, we're going to be working from home. Um, I would say that if you still plan to drive your car, you know, be careful about the bare minimum coverages you, you, um, you start, um, you know, opting with, because if you don't have enough coverage and you get into accident, you can find yourself in a bad situation. So one of the things you can do is change the deductible on your auto insurance. Um, and so that's how much you have to pay out of pocket when you get in an accident and make a claim, right? So you could have a $500 deductible, you're driving way less. Um, you decide, okay, let's take it up to a thousand and save a little bit of money every year. Just make sure if you do something like that, that you can actually afford to pay that thousand dollar deductible. Um, and, and, and also make sure that you're, you're actually not going to be driving your car too much if that's the reason you're doing it. If not a lot is changing, then you should probably be really careful about changing your coverages. Because, again, if you go in an accident and you've taken off a lot of coverages, it could mean paying out of pocket for the damages you face in an accident. Now, what would you recommend to, to people? Because, I mean, as we go through this, who really knows how long, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be seeing the impacts here of COVID-19 when it comes to people working at home, right? So you, it might sound like hopefully you're only stuck at home working in your home office for a month, but it could very well last longer than that. So for those who maybe are saying, you know, while I'm working at home, it's going to be minimal driving that I'm going to be doing. So I should probably look at, um, you know, what my options are to reduce uh, the premiums that I'm paying out at this point in time. But should they just be, I guess, calling their insurance companies and, and, and their brokers and saying, hey, here's my situation. I don't know what it's going to like in a month or two. Is it worth making those kinds of changes if it is only going to be for a short period of time? I guess this is, these are probably the conversations that people should be having, um, you know, with the people who are handling their insurance. Yeah, I, I would recommend immediately calling and saying, hey, here's my new situation. And that's another thing when it comes to insurance. If things change, and this is just a general rule, call your insurance company and change and, and tell them that things have changed, right? Whether you're moving, driving your car more or less, um, using your car for a new purpose, like maybe you're driving Uber, always tell your insurance company about this. So yes, I would recommend call, say, this is my new reality. Um, I'm going to be driving my car a lot less or, or, or not at all. What's the basic minimum coverage that I can potentially get? And how is that going to change my rate? And, you know, why should I consider that or not consider that? Because every situation is so unique. I can, I can be on the radio here and give this blanket advice, but, but your, you know, a listener's situation can be so unique that the advice doesn't apply. So I definitely call and tell them. And, and again, it's just general life advice. If anything changes, call your insurance company to tell them. And is there anything specific that you would say for people who maybe have um, like dependents on their insurance policy, right? Like a second or third driver on that policy. Can you take them off without them facing those, those penalties, those, uh, you know, lack of or gaps in insurance coverage? Does that still apply for second and third drivers on a policy or, or is that a little bit of a different situation? Yeah, so, so that's a really good question. Um, so for the most part, yes, it does apply. So that will count as a gap in the insurance coverage as well. Although it really depends on kind of how the, the other driver is registered. So um, now I'm not sure how ICBC treats it. Um, so I would say definitely, you know, different c companies treat uh, penalties and look at gaps in coverage differently. So I would, that's a question that you should immediately ask, Hey, if I'm taking someone off, is that going to count as a gap in coverage and are they going to be penalized in the future? 
Perfect. Well, I think there's a lot of uh, good advice there for people, John. And uh, like I said, I really do appreciate you taking the time to sort of shed, shed some light on the changes that people can make as obviously everyone's habits are a little bit uh, interrupted right now. And who knows how they can impact uh, the, the insurance uh, that you're paying for right now. Uh, anything else that you want to add here, John, while I have you on the line? Uh, no, that's everything. Just uh, remember that piece of advice. If things are changing in your life, tell your insurance company. Yeah, and there's a, a lot of changes happening in everyone's lives right now, so probably exactly. a, a good idea to make that call. Well, thanks so much for doing this, John. Really appreciate you coming back on uh, back-to-back days here and uh, filling us in on what's going on in insurance uh, industries across Canada and, and uh, here in BC as well. So thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Jeff. That was John Schmuel, the Director of Content Strategy for Lowest Rates, CA, thanks, John, for coming back again. Like I said, on back-to-back days, kind of going over everything there. Like I said, we had the home and life insurance conversation yesterday. So if you missed that, log on to RadioNL.com slash podcast. You can also find the Jeff Andrea Show on Spotify and Google Podcast, wherever you find your podcast. So feel free to, to listen back if there's anything that you missed and you want to hear again. It's out there for your listening pleasure. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I would like to thank all my guests for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me here for a short while or a long while. Just know we enjoyed our time while it lasted. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.